Welcome to Tamimi Talks, an insightful podcast series on the latest legal news and developments across the Middle East and North Africa. Welcome back to our series on the new labour law on Tamimi Talks. We hope you're having a great week so far and happy hump day. On this episode, we will look at how employment contracts can be terminated and the changes that have been made under the new law. So as we touched upon in the first episode, the concept of unlimited term contracts shall no longer exist. And going forward, all employees are going to have to be party to fixed term contracts. This is perhaps the most notable difference between the current law and the new law. And we've received a number of questions in respect of how this is going to affect the current termination regime. While the current law and the new law do have a number of similarities in respect of the ways in which employment can be terminated, the new law specifically says that an employment can be terminated either upon expiry of the fixed term contract, upon service of notice, summary dismissal and by mutual agreement. And the ability to terminate the contract for one of these reasons is also provided for in the current law. So no big surprises there. Excitingly, however, the new law does make express provision for redundancy, which was never contemplated under the current law. As we all know, unfortunately, there are circumstances in which redundancy becomes necessary, for example, COVID-related scenarios or company restructure, and the ability to make redundancies was not considered a valid reason to terminate employment under the current law. Uh, And if an employer did terminate an employee's employment on redundancy grounds, the courts tended to consider this as arbitrary dismissal and awarded compensation. Exactly. I mean, this being said, where a company was, for example, going bankrupt or into liquidation, the courts may in certain circumstances be less inclined to award compensation, provided that the company could show that it didn't have the financial ability to pay. However, this was considered on a case-by-case basis and generally required a very high threshold of evidence. Exactly, but under the new law, redundancy is expressly mentioned, although, to be clear, it's referred to as the permanent closure of an establishment or where an employer becomes bankrupt, insolvent or unable to continue business for any economical or exceptional reasons. Exactly. On first reading of this, it appears as though redundancy is again linked to the closure of a company or perhaps a business line or sector. Having said this, the new law does provide some flexibility where it refers to an employer being unable to continue in business for any economical or exceptional reasons. Exceptional can arguably be interpreted in different ways, and perhaps it widens the scope of what circumstances may be considered to fall within this category. Mm. And I do want to highlight at this point that although there is reference in the new law that refers to the executive regulations in respect of the procedures relating to this type of termination, of course, we have no case law on this point yet. Uh, So we do need to wait and see what clarity the executive regulations provide and how the courts are likely to interpret this in coming months. It is a very exciting time for us employment lawyers. If we briefly turn to look at other reasons for termination, um, turning to summary dismissal first, under the current law... Article 120 provides for 10 gross misconduct reasons which permit an employer to terminate an employee's employment without notice and without gratuity. Article 44 of the new law replaces Article 120, and the main changes that have been made are with respect to firstly probation. In our view, probation wasn't really an Article 120 reason, and termination for probation was already dealt with elsewhere in the current law, so its removal from the new law is not really a material change. Yeah, and there's a ground under the current Article 120 that provides that where an employee doesn't perform their basic duties and is given a warning, they can then be terminated for gross misconduct. The same ground exists under the new law, but an employer must now give two warnings before proceeding to terminate. In practice, reliance on this ground 
is next to impossible um, because in our experience, the courts generally don't consider a poor performer as being somebody who's, who's committed gross misconduct. Uh, and the courts would typically expect this to be termination with notice. So it's surprising to us that this ground has actually remained in the new law under Article 44 because in practice, nobody ever uses it successfully. Well, exactly. The other element that's gone in the new law is where an employee works for another employer during their sick leave or annual leave. I mean, the glaring omission here was that if the employee works for another employer not during his annual leave or sick leave, but actually during his normal working day, then this wasn't a ground of gross misconduct, strangely enough. So that ground has now been removed under the new law, and there are two new grounds covering the same area. One is the employee illegally exploiting his job for personal gains, and the other is joining another employer without complying with the rules and procedures established in this regard. We take this to mean a breach of non-competition clause. Um, but the difficulty with that one is that by the time the old employer realises that the non-competition clause has been breached, the employment relationship is over already and the employee has already gone to join their, their new employer. And so there's not really much that the old employer can do on that ground. And one thing to say about all of these grounds for termination uh, under Article 44, with the exception of the ground of being absent for seven consecutive or 20 non-consecutive days, is that in practice, most of them require a criminal conviction before an employer can rely on them before the Labour Court. So if we think about the current grounds, uh, Article 120F, where an employee discloses confidential information, in order to successfully terminate an employee under Article 120 on that ground, the employer would first need to secure a criminal conviction. There seems to be the same practical issue here. So the issues that an employer might face in enforcing a ground under Article 20, we expect an employer to encounter the same issues when trying to rely on Article 44. Exactly. I think one of the fundamental changes that has been made to the new Article 44 is that Article 120 of the current law currently allows the employer to terminate immediately without notice and without gratuity. But this has been changed in the new law. So Article 44 provides that you can only deny the employee their notice pay, but they're still entitled to gratuity. So even if the employee was terminated with misconduct or for any of the reasons under Article 44, the employee will still reserve his right to gratuity. And that's a very important change in the new law. And actually, it brings it into line with the ADGM and DIFC position in the sense that there's no reduction or forfeiture of gratuity in that scenario. So if we think about that from an employer's perspective, then the Article 44 termination would be less advantageous than the current Article 120 termination in the sense that, OK, maybe the employer wouldn't have to pay notice, but they would still have to pay gratuity. So in the event that an employer was to terminate under Article 44 and the employee filed a case, actually all the employee, employer stands to save is that notice period salary. So there's a lot less benefit and a lot more cost implications in bringing a case under Article 44. Constructive dismissal, um, an interesting topic. The current law has a minimal section on constructive dismissal and doesn't actually use that terminology. Uh, but constructive dismissal is a concept that we're all familiar with, and it describes a situation in which an employee terminates their employment as a result of a fundamental or material breach of their contract by the employer. Currently, in practice, the scope of a legitimate constructive dismissal claim is generally limited to where the employer stops paying salary or where there's an assault on the employee. But under the new law, there's an expansion to include health and safety related grounds. And interestingly, where the work that the employee needs to perform is fundamentally different to the job description. So that's going to limit the employer's scope to change an employee's job duties without the employee's consent. If we turn to termination on notice, 
Both the current law and the new law provide for the party's ability to terminate on notice. And as we mentioned in episode one of this mini-series, although all employees are going to be engaged on fixed-term contracts going forward, that fixed-term contract concept effectively combines the current unlimited-term and limited-term models. Therefore, although they're called fixed-term contracts, actually either party can still terminate the contract during the term for good cause, on notice of between either 30 to 90 calendar days. And we will come on to what amounts to good cause shortly. But then notwithstanding this ability to terminate with notice, these are essentially fixed-term contracts, and so they are going to have a a term. And the contract will expire automatically on the conclusion of that term. Now, this does raise some uncertainty for both parties nearing the end of the fixed term. If a discussion has not taken place in advance confirming that the contract is going to be renewed, arguably, the employee could just not turn up to work the day after the fixed term expires on the basis that they don't want to continue with their employment, and essentially they wouldn't need to give notice in order to do that. And then vice versa, the employee could come to work the day after the contract expires and the employer could turn around and say, no, thank you, your contract has expired and we don't want to continue with your employment. So from a practical perspective, therefore, it's important that employers and employees have these discussions in advance so that everybody knows what's going to happen when that contract term comes to an end. The other thing we wanted to touch on in this episode is in respect of the good cause termination and the associated compensation. So as everyone is already familiar under the current law, that law provides for the concept of arbitrary dismissal, which is a termination that the court determines is either unconnected to the employee's performance or conduct, or where it is connected, but that an appropriate internal procedure hasn't been conducted in advance of that termination, in which case the employee can claim up to three months salary by way of compensation. And it's important to note that the new law doesn't actually use the word arbitrary dismissal. But Article 47 of the law does talk about unlawful dismissal in the sense that if the employee files a case against the employer and that case is proven to be true, then the employee can obtain compensation. And the maximum compensation is up to three months salary. Um, So this does seem to be a parallel with the current arbitrary dismissal compensation. Exactly. I mean, what may be considered unlawful remains unclear, but our view is that whatever the intention, the judges dealing with these cases are not being changed. So that means that the judges that are dealing with cases on the 1st of February under the current law are going to be the same judges on on the 2nd of February dealing with the new law. And these judges are used to viewing these types of claims through a certain lens. So they're going to look at Article 47 and reference the three-month compensation as the same or very similar to that of arbitrary dismissal compensation. Again, of course, this is a new law, so we don't have any case law on any of these points, but hopefully next year we'll be in a better position to advise. Uh, but it's our view that determination that's not connected to an employee's performance or conduct is still likely to lead to potential liability under the new law. But let us see whether or not the executive regulations provide any further clarity on this. The last thing we wanted to touch on in this episode is the payment of entitlements and gratuity. So under the new law, employee termination entitlements should be paid within 14 days. Under the current law, strangely enough, there's no provision in relation to that. And the new law provides that failure to pay the payments by this deadline can result in fines. But it's important to note that these are regulatory fines imposed by the ministry. And therefore, failure to pay on time is a regulatory issue rather than a damages issue. So in that sense, the position onshore is very different to the position in DIFC, where there's also a payment deadline, but that failure to adhere to that deadline means that damages are payable to the employee. 
Exactly. And just to finish that point, on a gratuity, we highlight that there's no change to the calculation. It's still on basic salary and it's still on calendar days. The only changes to gratuity relate to, number one, as we mentioned, no forfeiture of gratuity where an employee's employment is terminated for gross misconduct. And secondly, there is no reduction on gratuity on resignations. All very interesting. So I think that's actually all we've got time for today, Sabrina. Um, tomorrow on our next episode in this mini-series, we're going to be having a quick look at what the new law says about discrimination and harassment. Yes, a very important topic. So please do make sure you join us. In the meantime, if you have any questions, please feel free to get in touch. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Tamimi Talks. Stay updated with all the latest legal news and developments on our social media channels.